I'm your host, State Senator Mike Azinger, accompanied by my co-host, Pastor Brian Leversey. We are in the studio at Fellowship Baptist Church and the only show in America where you'll experience the fusion of church and state. So we're going to be engaging in vigorous, robust discussion on culture, history, and current events from a biblical perspective. Voice of Truth Radio Every Thursday at 5, Saturdays at 3, podcast at Voice of Truth with Mike Azinger, email. Let's just use Mike Azinger1965 at gmail.com. That 1965, I wanted to do something like 30 years before I was born. <laughs> so, let's see, I was born in 95. So that makes me 26. You're good at math. <laughs> I'm good at life. Yeah. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in. A lot, lot, lot has happened, Gally Ned, since... Uh, since we were on a week ago even, and it's surreal, and, and we're pinching ourselves on all that. And, of course, that's the Roe v. Wade thing, which we'll get to in a second. But um, uh, I just want to uh, promo something also at the end of the show. We're going to do a little bit of a longer show uh, this week because uh, we want to talk a lot about Roe v. Wade. Plus, we had a guest that was planned for this hour that um, – we want to accommodate, too. It'll be, he'll be a fascinating guy, a guy named James McCormick, Captain James McCormick, retired Army, has a uh, just a, an amazing story. One of those guys, genuine war heroes, a guy that uh, every dad wants their son to be like and to meet. I want him to meet my boys at some point. But, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, he's, he's got uh, just a, a fascinating war story in a situation where he thought he was going to die. I thought... Uh, and and he and his men just um, prayed and 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 shot shot their way. It, <laughs> wow. It's 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 amazing. So we'll get him on. <clears throat> but uh, as it would happen uh, last night, uh, war hero, Medal of Honor recipient um, Herschel Woody Williams passed away hmm. right in the middle of the night. The last the last remaining. World War II Medal of Honor recipient. Wow. Last one in America. Wait, was he born right here in West Virginia? He was born. He's just a hillbilly wow. from West Virginia, wow. country boy from West Virginia, mm-hmm. and went overseas and was given an assignment. Hey, Williams, Private Williams, here's a flamethrower. We need you to go uh, and uh, uh, just basically neutralize these pillboxes that these Japs are in. And he went one by one to each one, and in a, in a, um, a display of ba- bravery that is just surreal. Wow! And and for the rest of his life, he he served uh, served the military man. He was he was uh, um, just uh, an amazing, accessible, not haughty in the least bit, and he could be, could have been because everywhere he went. Especially in West Virginia, he was 
he was just revered and and uh i i you know i I talk from time to time about my radio show i had in indiana and uh i asked him to come on the show during a memorial day weekend or something you know prior to memorial day and and uh sure enough he came on Hmm. (laughs) uh and that was not unusual Hmm. for him to do that he knew my dad he used to endorse my dad in his house of delegates races and uh i I don't even think he was the same party i i I don't think he was a republican Hmm. maybe until the end he may have switched over but he was a a lifelong democrat but always endorsed dad dad was a marine and um just the nicest guy and we were talking before we came on the air but woody williams would um, he spoke on the Senate floor one time. I forget the occasion, but if any of our listeners have ever uh, ever heard this, uh, the Douglas MacArthur speech, "Duty, Honor, Country," one of the all-time historic speeches, hmm. just uh, just in, an incredible speech. If if anyone has heard that, that is how Herschel Woody Williams spoke on the Senate floor, hmm. like that. He was. Uh, he was an amazing speaker and just kind of a little guy. But, man, uh, when he spoke, he spoke. So mm-hmm. he passed away in the middle of the night. And our guest, who um, who we're, we're hoping to have on today, but he was uh, our guest, James McCormick, uh, was with Woody Williams last night in the middle of the night and prayed with him. Um, James, James texted me uh, about 4.30 this morning. Um, and said that um, he had been with Woody Williams at 2.45, prayed with him, and he was at peace. And then at 3.15, Herschel Woody Williams passed on Hmm. to be with the Lord. I believe he was a a strong believer and loved loved Jesus, Hmm. followed followed the Lord. um, Just a hillbilly from West Virginia. Hmm. It's an amazing story. How old was he? So he was what? What did we show? Ninety eight, I think. Ninety eight. Wow. That's I'm I'm going off the top of my head, but he was, he looked healthy all the time. You're thinking, how old is this guy? Hmm. But he would just walk. I never saw him with a cane. Never saw him in a wheelchair. Wow. Um, and from time to time, I'd like to get my own wheelchair myself. <laughs> I could I could use a cane for that. <laughs> so there he is, and uh, it's sad. It 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 it, it pains me uh, in my in my soul to see him go, hmm. and I think. Most West Virginians who knew who he was, know his story, are are in that same, well, same it, boat. It, it kind of feels, I don't know, it feels surreal, too, because it's another chapter that closes on the greatest generation, you know. That's it's right. Just, yes, that's 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 right. And and it's amazing. The last recipient of the Medal of Honor, most, uh, most or at least half Medal of Honor recipients, uh, are awarded posthumously. That's right. You know, yeah. you die to to get what when you are awarded. Uh, so first thing, and second thing, last one was uh, a little old West Virginian hmm. that outlasted <laughs> all the other guys. But the World War II generation is are few and far between now, as uh, as time moves along. Yeah. So so anyway. So we'll have uh, James McCormick on. If we don't have him on today, I haven't heard back from him. If we don't have yeah, him on today. Yeah, he's been pretty busy then. He's been busy. He's probably very tired, and uh, we'll have him on. Well, I wanted to have him on before the 4th of July, uh, which is Monday, right? Yeah. So we're recording. This is Wednesday. The What date is it? I don't know. Wednesday the 29th, um, and the 4th of July is on Monday. 
We want. I just wanted to have him on before yeah, the court. Yeah, that'd be cool. You know. Yeah. So hopefully we'll get him. If but not, we'll be, do it next week. It'll be cool to have him on whenever he comes. Whenever on. it's going to be great. Whenever he's a humble guy. Yeah. And James McCormick, I'm talking about now, Captain James McCormick, our uh, retired army, um, humble guy. And, but, but, and, and uh, I was listening to a story. His story again. He had he had uh, he did an interview with uh, a, a buddy of his who was, I think, 82nd Airborne. Hmm. And this 82nd Airborne guy has a show where he has heroes on. It's called hmm. Heroes Live, and he interviewed James McCormick. Uh, so um, James sent me the video a month ago, and I listened to it, and I thought, "Oh wow, this guy's this guy's something." Hmm. So I was listening to it again for the show today, last night, and and it, 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 it's a story he tells that you know that if someone that was with him had told it, they'd have really told how great his right you his, don't yeah your heroism he gave the humble version yes he did yeah he did you know i mean he was shot three times my goodness um they ran into an ambush where he said okay this is what it's like to die wow that's what he thought in his heart hmm. and i think with his leadership he all those guys that came with him uh were faint yet pursuing mm-hmm. <laughs> they were wounded yet pursuing they got beat up but they came back, and uh, so that, that's wow. that's what America's made of, men yeah. like that. So, yeah. anyway, so we're going to try to have him on, but we want to talk about Roe v. Wade this morning, and just uh, um, everyone, it, it's going to be one of those days, Pastor, where everyone remembers yeah. where they were on June 24, about, I don't know, 10, 11 a.m., when that decision came down. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of people just never thought this would happen you know i i think they just it wasn't something that they felt i think even when that leak took place of the the kind of opinion um i think a lot of people thought well you know is this even real is this something that they're going to stick with is this something that's going to really come to fruition and uh, i think that day when when the decision was i was kind of surprised by it i didn't know it was coming out it's never day. happened before yeah oh you I, mean the day it came yeah, out the yeah 24th. yeah the day it came yeah. out i wasn't I, I hadn't heard that that's when the, they were supposed to release yeah. it and uh, when it came out i think people were genuinely shocked i think on both sides obviously they were just genuinely shocked that 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 decision had taken place yes so uh, when it was leaked that had never happened yeah that before. had never that was, happened that was criminals as i understand absolutely it. so the decision came. So I was at a. Uh, you text me that that morning. I was at a uh, conference in Branson, Missouri, which <laughs> for uh, the conference was for the National Association of Christian Legislators, mm-hmm. which I'm the I'm the guy for West Virginia. It's a new group. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like three years. It's a third conference, three years old, uh, headed by. And here's here's God. Headed by, uh, started by a guy named uh, Jason Raper, a state senator from Arkansas, who passed the first heartbeat bill in the nation wow. in 2013. Boy, I bet he was jumping up and down. He was. So here's what, and let me give you a little more background. Also, there was a, a gal named Janet Porter uh, from Ohio who started the heartbeat bill. She wrote it, hmm. and it. Uh, uh, she was there that day to be honored for her 
uh, work for the pro-life cause. Wow. And we were all in the auditorium. They were about to have a session, and there was half a dozen people up on the stage. We were all walking in. We were <laughs> we were at the College of the Ozarks, hmm. which is a Christian college outside of Branson, Missouri, that is actually in a battle with the federal government because the feds are saying to the College of Ozarks, you got to have co-ed dorms. Oh my goodness. And they're saying, no, we're not having co-ed dorms. Hmm. So this is some people at this school who are, are serious business. They're, yeah. not, they're not laying down for the government. Right. And uh, they have an auditorium there right off of where we had our, uh, all, all the meals. It's a rustic college. Hmm. Um, put a bunch of money put into it by Pro Bass Shops, uh, who I, well, I think was an, a graduate from there, the guy wow. that started the huh. uh, Pro Bass Shops. Am I saying that right? Bass, yeah, bass Pro, Pro Shops. Shops bass yeah. Pro Shops. We knew what you meant, though. Well, those, those, <laughs> those bass can be very professional if you ever uh, run into it. <laughs> so right off the eating area, you, we went into this auditorium. We'd have a session in there. And it's kind of dark in there. Cameras in there. They're recording it. There was actually even someone from, I think, the Washington Post following us the whole time. Hmm. Because about every session, they would say, just remember, folks, that we're being, uh, we're being um, uh, recorded by media. Mm-hmm. So don't say anything stupid right. was the right. subtext there. Right. Jason Raper went to the podium, and he said, uh, and he announced that Roe v. Wade was overturned. Mm. Pastor, I started weeping right wow. there. Yeah. I mean, just tears came yeah. out of my eyes, and everyone around me, yeah. everyone on the stage mm. weeping. It was mm. it was surreal the whole day, Pastor. I was I was just pinching myself. Is this? I mean, for real? Right. Is this? Did this really happen? Mm. Am I having a dream here? Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court. Yeah. Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court. Mm. I did not ever think. Mm-hmm. I never had the faith to think that would happen. Like you said, mm-hmm. I did not think that Brett Kavanaugh. That uh, Amy Coney Barrett and even Gorsuch, I didn't think they'd have the guts to do it. Hmm. And I, I think that maybe that leak may have firmed them up. Maybe they said, look, you're going to do that to me? Right. I'm going to vote for uh, overturn. I don't know that, but here it is. Yeah. Five of them. Roberts voted not to overturn Roe v. Wade, but he voted for the Dobbs decision. I, I don't understand it completely, but... He's not one of the five. He was one of the six, but the five with a hardcore said overturn Roe v. Wade. Yeah. I, and I think, honestly, Justice uh, Clarence Thomas had a lot to do with probably influencing that decision as well. I mean, that, that guy's been a stalwart Clarence. for the Supreme Court for years now. And, you know, I, th- I think he is that presence on the Supreme Court. And then, of course, we've got to remember – this took place because votes matter. Like, elections actually matter. Yes. And, you know, for all the the pushback against, you know, the Trump uh, presidency, at the back of my mind before I even knew who Trump was, I was trusting that he would do what he said he would do to put in conservative Supreme Court justices. And if, if those justices had not been put in there, you know, I mean, God can do whatever He wants to do, but that went that went toward this decision. There is no doubt 
uh, I, I have a great article that I I posted on on Facebook from a guy named John Nolte with Breitbart, who's a phenomenal writer. Now he's a little saucy. He lets he lets a Kelsword uh, go here here and then here and there in the article, but he says he says flat out, MAGA MAGA people are what made this Supreme Court decision happen mm. because there is nobody. And those 16 candidates, except for Trump, in that Republican primary in, six, in 2016, I think it was 16, maybe more, um, there was no one, none of them that would have stuck with Kavanaugh when he was being yeah. destroyed or with Amy Coney Barrett or with, you know, any of them. Uh, Trump did not waver. He did not abandon them. He stuck with them uh, the whole time. As only Trump would do. Trump kept his promises. Look, if you don't like Trump, you don't have to like Trump. Right. But Donald Trump kept his promises, and he he brought to the Supreme Court three justices yeah. that overturned well, Roe I, v. I wanna, Wade. I want to play something for you. This is during the uh, this is during the debate in 2016, um, and this is what Trump said, and this is exactly what happened. And and um, you know, it's it's kind of amazing. Uh, when you think about it, how he kind of knew a lot of this stuff that was coming down, you know, he, he had planned for it and he had, Mm -hmm. he had placed his mind already toward how he was going to fashion that. So, um, it's a pretty amazing thing and, and I'll play it for you here. What did that out? Because the, the thing won't play. So I'll have Tim go back and put the actual okay. clip and, in. And so we can we do can it do in the that. next segment so, if yeah. whatever, how you want to do it. But, yeah. uh, and that's what, that's what Trump, uh, tr- that's what Trump will be re- remembered for pastor. Uh, a hundred years from now, uh, no one's going to remember really all these attacks on this man, relentless, uh, unending, mm-hmm. perpetual evil attacks on this man. But oh, they yeah. will remember that Donald J. Trump, is the man that set the Supreme Court up yeah. with his uh, with his justices that he put in there to overturn Roe v. Wade? That's a legacy thing. That right is there. that yeah. is. I mean, uh, nobody believed this. Yeah. Jason Raper did. He <laughs> the guy the guy that was with uh, NACL down in uh, the the he said I I believed that was going to happen. Some some great pe- people with great faith did. Uh, I did not. I did not think that this court would have the guts to overturn what? it. There's been a tight hold on this for more than 50 years? Yes, exactly. I mean, and, and they, they, in 90, 1992, we've discussed this before, in 1992 in KCV, I forget, but uh, uh, Governor Casey, pro-life Democrat governor of, of Pennsylvania, uh, gave it a shot. It was it was potentially could have been overturned in '92. Uh, it did not happen. Um, but uh, now, the the according to Mark Levin, who I've listened to a lot of, especially in the last week, but the, this this decision could have gone farther. They could have the court could have said, "Look, no no abortion anywhere in the country," hmm. according to Levin, as I understand it. But uh, Roe v. Wade's Roe v. Wade was up through the first two trimesters. Hmm. The third, uh, I, I said that wrong on the on the show before. I thought it was all the way for, for to, through the third, but after the second trimester, they uh, 
as as Levin said, it, the state has an interest. Hmm. In other words, like, you can't do it. So the Democrats, uh, you know, look. Let's be honest here. These 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 leftists uh, at in D.C. These leftist Democrats want to want it to go as far as it can go. Yeah, you know, it's a culture of death. These leftists love and. Um, uh, God has something to say. About well, all the pieces were in, all all of the pieces were in place. But let's let's also think about this. There's a lot of people that have been praying for this for years, years and years, years and years. Um, uh, by, by the way, a little I talked about Janet Porter, who was there to receive an award for her pro life work on the day Roe v. Wade was overturned. Hmm. It also happened the guy that started March for Life. Hmm. It happened on his birthday. June 24th wow. was his birthday. <laughs> now, amazing. I'm thinking multiply that by maybe a, a million or what, whatever um, in terms of the number of people that God did that for yeah. who who are nobodies that, yeah. that we've never heard of that sure. that have worked in this movement for years and years who will, who will uh, uh, get a lot more than many of us at the at the. Yeah throne of judgment so well there course, were also a whole lot of people that weren't happy about this decision too yeah there were there were those also i don't want to talk about them right now <laughs> but all right so we're gonna we're gonna bump out of this segment when we get back we're gonna talk about what roe v wade means for different states hmm. what it means for west virginia we'll talk about ohio also um for the folks that are listening from ohio uh, so it gets very fascinating all we have now is um uh, a new set of challenges. We yeah. shift. Roe v. Wade shifts us away from overturning Roe v. Wade to a new set of challenges for each state. Yeah. And uh, that's what we'll talk about. And then then in the final segment, we're going to talk about new Harvard research says U.S. Christianity is not shrinking. Hmm. But growing stronger. Wow, that would be counter to everything that, that we've read. All, other- <laughs> everything we say on here, yeah. every story I bring up. Uh, uh, so it's fascinating stuff in here. The story's a few years old, but it doesn't matter because it's it's uh, a thirty thousand feet story, and it goes. It, it's in the context of the whole history of our of our hmm. country. All right, so we'll come back. With uh, we'll get down in the weeds a little bit with the states. This will be inter- interesting to you folks, uh, to, just to know which states are where, uh, surrounding states, because you know uh, Roe Ro v. Wade just said um, the states decide yeah. on on abortion. West yeah. Virginia on the day that Roe v. Wade was overturned on the twenty fourth, West Virginia shut down its only abortion mill hmm. in Charleston. We became instantly. Uh, uh, a uh, no abortion state. Now wow. that happened not just because wow we want to do that. Now a Roe v. Wade's overturned. Where no, because we had law in place already prior to Roe v. Wade. It's fascinating mm. stuff. We'll get into it here in just a minute. You're listening to the Voice of Truth Radio Show with Mike Azinger and Pastor Brian Leversey. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth radio show, the only show in America where you will experience the fusion of church and state. This is Mike Azinger, state senator with Brian Leversey, state pastor. Are you, are you the state <laughs> wow. pastor? I got a promotion. Yes, it was, uh, I, I wanted to surprise you with it. All right, so uh, you were talking in the last break about 
or in the last uh, segment about this Donald Trump thing that he said at uh, at a debate with Hillary yeah. Clinton about how he's going to appoint conservative justices, and you have this, right? Yeah. So yep. we're going to play it for our, uh, our listeners. Yeah, we'll do it right now. Let's pick up on another issue which divides you and the justices that whoever ends up winning this election appoints could have a dramatic effect that there, and that's the issue of abortion. Right. Mr. Trump, you're pro-life, but I, I want to ask you specifically, do you want the court, including the justices that you will name, to overturn Roe v. Wade, which includes, in fact states, a woman's right to abortion? Well, if that would happen, because I am pro-life and I will be appointing pro-life judges, I would think that that will go back to the individual states. But I'm asking you specifically, would you if like If they to... overturned it, it'll go back to the states. But what I'm asking you, sir, is do you want to see the court overturn? You just said you want to see the court protect the Second Amendment. Do you want to see the court overturn Roe Well, if we put another two or perhaps three justices on, that's really what's going to be... Ha- that will happen. And that'll happen automatically, in my opinion, because I am putting pro-life justices on the court. I will say this, it will go back to the states, and the states will then make a determination. Ah, how about that? So, so there you go. He knew, yep. and he had that goal, and he was unabashed about it. He wasn't trying to hide right. what he was going to do. So what's going to happen in the different states? So West Virginia was in the, in the uh, Parkersburg News this morning. West Virginia had a law in place already uh, that – goes back to West, uh, to Virginia law when we were still part of Virginia. We carried that law over, and uh, that, that law basically said that um, abortion uh, will be uh, uh, the, the – uh, uh, if you if – you, do an abortion that you get three to ten years. Wow. If the if the mom dies, it could uh, it's it's felony murder. Wow! So this is very severe. It shows you the moral <laughs> contrast between the late 19th century and uh, the 21st century that we're in. Yeah, uh, where that that seen, that even sounds severe three to ten years yeah. for because we're so used to uh, the killing of babies yeah. being commonplace. Yeah. Uh, but now, but uh, but now, West Virginia. Let me just read this quickly from uh, the newspaper. This is Stephen Allen Adams. He's a local guy. He actually uh, uh, writes some good stuff. The majority decision overturned the landmark Supreme Court decision in Roe v. Wade, and a follow-up decision 19 years later in uh, Planned Parenthood of Southern P- uh, PA versus Casey. That's the Casey mm, decision right. that both upheld a right for women to seek an abortion. Friday's decision caused the state's only abortion clinic in Charleston to halt all abortion procedures due to an old law remaining on West Virginia's books that makes providing abortion services a crime. Mm -hmm. State Code 61-2-8 makes it a felony for any person to cause an abortion. If convicted, a doctor or other person could be sentenced to between 3 and 10 years in prison. The only exception is for the saving of the life of the mother. The law is based on a similar Virginia law from 1849, prior to the Civil War, that was included in West Virginia's criminal code when we were still Virginia. 
and when it became a state in 1863, 159 years ago. That section of state code remained active until 1975 when a U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit ruled that, uh, that the law was unconstitutional. So West Virginia has that law in place right now. That's the law in West Virginia. So what about Ohio across the river? Ohio just passed the heartbeat bill just a year or two ago, which was Janet Porter's bill that who we were just talking about that was down at that conference uh, with me who was to be honored on the day that Roe v. Wade was overturned. So we're going to go through some of the states here and where they are. This should be pretty fascinating mm-hmm. for folks because uh, uh, who's where? Um, it's it's uh, uh, we, we say this over and over, but Roe v. Wade being overturned did not outlaw abortion right. in America. It takes it back to the states. So where are the states? Uh, where are the states in in terms of their abortion law currently? Because what's on the books right now for each state, or on the twenty fourth when it was overturned, is what uh, is what the law of the land is. What their law is. So. Supreme Court Friday morning sided with uh, Mississippi and overturned Roe v. Wade. And Mississippi was where this uh, decision, where the uh, uh, decision came from. Alito asserted that Roe was egregiously wrong and on a collision course with the Constitution from the day it was decided. Hmm. It was imperative that Alito write this decision because Alito writing it meant that the majority was saying overturn Roe. If Roberts had written the decision, it would not have overturned Roe. As I understand it, it simply would have, uh, uh, the Dobbs would have would have been law, and I think that would have been 15 weeks. Or they could have just said, um, no, no to all of it. Mm-hmm. Or they could have said, uh, let's go really, really strong and outlaw abortion in the land. That's according to Mark Levin. That's how I understand it. Abortion laws will now be Uh, decided by the states, it's time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives, the ruling stated. Many states have trigger bans, meaning abortion becomes illegal once Roe v. Wade is overturned. I think Tennessee says 30 days after it's overturned. I think Tennessee outlaws abortion at 30 30 days after the uh, Roe v. Wade thing came down 26 states totally will likely ban abortion or have a near ban and that's from the Guttmacher institute so here's the states these are 26 i'm not going through all 50 so hang on hang with us here folks but uh this will be this will be interesting what uh, what about uh the red states i think is who they're doing here um let me see if i can this is uh the 26 states that will likely ban abortion or have a near ban Okay, so Alabama, this is, um, they had a pre-row ban, near total ban, state constitution bars uh, protection. So they, uh, Alabama will be basically a no abortion state. Hmm. Arizona, they had a pre-row ban. Arizona will probably be a no abortion state or close to it. Arkansas had a pre-row ban on abortion. That means it'll go back into effect, trigger ban near uh, the trigger ban near total ban. Some of this is a little confusing, but uh, Georgia has a six-week ban on abortion. So at six weeks, you cannot have a ban, a, do abortion in Georgia. Idaho has a trigger ban, 
that uh, says six weeks. No abortions uh, after six weeks. Iowa, six-week ban. Kentucky had a trigger uh, that's a six-week ban. Louisiana, and by, by the way, six weeks, I mean, how, how many weeks along is a gal when she knows right. she has a uh, yeah. pregnant? Right, yeah. so Louis, it's almost no abortion mm-hmm. essentially. Louisiana trigger ban, near total ban on abortion. They have a six-week ban. Uh, Michigan pre-row, they have a ban on abortion. Hmm. Mississippi pre-row ban, uh, six-week ban. So they'll go to six weeks. Missouri, eight week, eight weeks. North Dakota, six-week. Six weeks. O- uh, Ohio, six-week ban, which is, I think, the heartbeat bill. Oklahoma, uh, trigger ban that uh, became effective just last November is uh, a near-total ban. It's a six-week ban. South Carolina, six weeks. South Dakota, a trigger ban. South Dakota, I think, is one of the no-abortion states. Tennessee, six-week ban. State constitution, bars protection. So so Tennessee will go to six weeks um, a uh, no abortion after six weeks. Texas, six weeks. Utah, uh, near total ban. West Virginia, pre-row ban. We, there's no abortion in West Virginia. Wisconsin, pre-row ban. Wyoming, a trigger ban. So these are 26. These 26 states either have no abortion now or no abortion after six wow. weeks. I think that might be the heartbeat bill. Maybe not, but anyway. These are these are the hardcore states. It, uh, Ohio has a heartbeat bill. Heartbeat must be six weeks because that's what the heart. Mm-hmm. That's what Ohio has. They have the heartbeat bill, so there must be a heartbeat at six weeks. I don't know. Might be. Yeah. So anyway, there's the there's the red states. Essentially, wow. it has Michigan also. But it's Michigan, literally half the country right there. Half the country. Yeah. So that's how the country's been ever since mm-hmm. ever since Bush Gore. Mm-hmm. The whole country's been half blue, half red. Some of that has shifted, um, and I think it's still shifting because I think uh, many, many Hispanics are, are going, uh, turning red, mm-hmm. turning Republican. So, so now it goes to the states, and now there's a battle there for, for where they're going to end up. And uh, now that we were talking about this before, it's going to cause some state legislators to now have to actually have a voice in this instead of just hiding behind mm. Roe versus Wade. And there's going to be legislation that's going to try to be passed in each state now. Yeah. Some to ban abortion completely, mm. some to, you know, ratchet up, you know, how how many abortions and how, how uh, you know, far into a term you can have an abortion. So so state legislators are, are really going to start being at the forefront of, of national news, I would imagine, mm. based upon how they're voting on these things. That's... That's going to happen, and and, and you know, Pastor, it, it's actually been happening for for ten years, twelve years. In, in two thousand ten, so in nineteen ninety four, there was a huge uh, wave of Republicans um, elected in D.C. and the state houses. In two thousand ten, during Obama, there was another huge wave of Republicans, I think it was a record number. Republicans elected the state house, and the and after that, these pro life bills started started coming out one after another after another after another, and these these uh, conservative red states started 
pushing back against abortion as much as possible with the heartbeat bill, with pain-capable bill, with, with uh, you know, these bills that, that where the gals had to see their uh, – um, the ultrasound, ultrasound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So these these things had had a, a, a huge, uh, you know, they just they they had a, a huge, they they mattered greatly. Mm-hmm. They, they had a huge influence on the on the culture, on the abortion culture, and it's already happened. So now, yeah, states are, we've pivoted here. We outlawed outlawed Roe v. Wade, but now we have a, a new set of challenges uh, in terms of um, you know. These these corporations wanting to pay for for gals to mm. go out of state. Let's pay talk for about trip. that a little bit. How cold hearted is that? Because don't you feel like a, a lot of the motivation for these corporations doesn't really have maybe a whole lot to do with them caring a lot, maybe even about the issue. But boy, if you can if you can have your employees abort babies instead of have to pay maternity leave, yes, um, boy, that costs you a lot less money on the bottom line when you're not having to add children to the insurance plan mm. boy that that helps you not have to worry about extra costs that way you know it just seems really cold-hearted to me. i think that uh the love of money is the root mm. of all evil and these corporations that are trying to show how woke they are and uh, how compassionate they are and i heard somebody make that exact point you just said yesterday and the fact no levin i heard on levin but uh um just the fact that that look, you know, pay for a gal to have an abortion, and you don't have to pay for maternity leave. Mm-hmm. Some of these maternity leaves are months, yeah, and then they don't lose an employee. Uh, you have an abortion; it costs, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks, maybe up to a thousand. I don't know, mm-hmm. and uh, they'll come back right back to work. Yeah, some some of these gals that have their babies never come back. They they want to stay home with their babies. Mm. They want long maternity leave because all of a sudden that baby changes your life. You've got four yeah. of them. I got three yeah. of them. We know how that, how that is. Oh yeah. So uh, and, and another thing, a lot of these corporations are run by woke people now mm-hmm. coming out of these Ivy League schools where they were indoctrinated. And these corporations, I don't know that it's an overwhelming amount but the, it's a substantial amount they're saying look we'll pay for you yeah. to go have an abortion yeah. so uh should we make that illegal should we make uh mailing uh mailing the uh the day after pill out of state illegal there's certain things now that we need to tighten up mm-hmm. because the left and that the pro-choice crowd you've seen their faces you've seen uh, where these 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 gals oh, get man. created i don't know it is very exposing to the heart behind all of this it does. because you know they used to really be in a position where they were kind of like well abortion is rare and you know it's really rape and incest and blah 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 and now it really shows their true colors when they're talking about um you know how egregious it is to overturn roe versus wade because clear up to before birth you should be able to abort your baby you know mm-hmm. if there mm-hmm. is a uh uh health issue or if there's this or if there's that and i mean it's just amazing how revealing this whole thing has been you've got women parading themselves up and down in front of the justices houses with bloody clothes talking about how they'll you know rip babies out themselves if they have to i mean just the heart behind this has been revealed it's it it shows you know i think about the uh the the old testament and god uh was about to put judgment on israel uh for the umpteenth time yeah (laughs) Yeah. and he talked about how um 
the starvation that's about to come, mm. and that uh, he talks about the, the that little old lady who barely yeah. who barely uh, makes a, a step uh, when she walks. She, you can barely hear her. She's just timid and sweet little old lady. Uh, but when she when there's no food in the land, even that even that lady will will eat their own. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, they become savages mm-hmm. uh, because that's what hunger does to you. That uh, the this overturning of Roe v. Wade has revealed yeah. what the heart, the wicked heart of this whole movement is, the satanic heart, and what it is, what these schools have done to these uh, many of them, get these gals with that are that are just radically pro-choice that that say you know i want to get pregnant so i can kill my baby or or uh even worse than that who are these gals who are these little girls that that are getting indoctrinated Mm -hmm. and that have become part of the heart of this movement and 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 men too men too you know they want they you know they want to have uh they want to be able to to fornicate and have no consequences and that's what's really behind this. It's birth Honestly, control, right? It's 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 being able to live a life that is so selfish. I just want to be part of the sexual revolution where I can I can have all of this fornication without any kind of responsibility. And that's why they're so irritated with Roe versus Wade being overturned. They honestly, you can tell it. It doesn't have anything to do with the health of the mother. It doesn't no. have anything to do with the health of the baby. <laughs> right. It has to do with I want no consequences for my actions. Yes, and 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 um, that's us. That's that's mankind without yeah. God, and there they are. Um, what I had noticed, uh, somebody posted on Facebook. I I shared it, but uh, where's uh, where's all these these uh, riots and buildings burning down i mean there are some but mm-hmm. nothing like when antifa burned uh the yeah. country down a year ago by the way real quick side story we're going to bump out of here and get to the next segment i was uh i was driving back from the conference i was at in branson and a long drive um i stopped in this little restaurant not a little restaurant but a i, I think it was a family-owned restaurant in some town just about 10 miles uh, west of the Ohio border in Indiana, and uh, this gal was waiting on me, or she's one of the gals waiting on me, and I started talking to her, and, she, and I thought, man, she, I, I lived in Indiana. I went through that area a lot, I, and it's it's kind of like West Virginia is like Southern Ohio is like Southern Indiana, and this mm-hmm. gal, I thought, man, she's where are you from? Um, I'm from uh, Oregon, Portland, Oregon. Really? Wow, what are you doing here? This is a small town Ohio, a small town Indiana. Well, um, something about jobs or something. And I said, uh, and she she mentioned something about the chaos up there. I said, yeah, y'all, uh, your town got burned down up there. She said, yeah, I couldn't take it. I left. Wow. And she talks about, she doesn't look like a conservative. Okay, right. I'm looking at it. She. But something woke her up, yeah. And she saw some kind of uh, a statue or something that meant a lot to her. Had been there a hundred years, and they burned it down. Mm-hmm. Some historical thing, and and uh, she was out of there. Yeah. So she's in small town Indiana, and she left. So that uh, the the burning of the cities woke a lot of people up. 
and it's gonna it's gonna show in the next election. Yeah. I think uh, that'll be one of the one of the things along with uh, gasoline. Oh, did you know it went down ten cents, eleven cents? I I uh, it went down from five dollars to four eighty nine in many places. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. such a help. Well, well, it's just <laughs> great. All right, so we're gonna talk about uh, Christianity in America. We're not going to have as much time as I thought because we've been yakking about Roe v. Wade. But praise God, it happened, uh, folks. Can you believe that Roe v. Wade is overturned? It is just, just amazing. Thank you, Lord. Amen. All right. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Voice of Truth radio show. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth radio show. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Azinger, along with my co-host, Pastor Brian Leverson. You're listening to the only show in America where you will experience the fusion of church and state. Actually, it's the only show in the world. The world. we have checked that. I think the universe. The universe probably did. Yeah. Hey, Amen. You believe in <laughs> flying saucers? <laughs> I don't. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I saw one on a. I saw one. I saw a, one. Yeah. Except for that one time, I was videoed it. It was like that's pretty convincing. Yeah. Um. All right. So we've been talking Roe v. Wade. We've been talking. Um, I forget this first segment. What were we talking about? Oh, Woody Woody, Woody Williams yeah. with uh, James McCormick, who's going to. We're going to do an extra long show today, mm-hmm. and we're going to. Uh, you have to bump out. You got work you got to go do. But uh, I'm going to interview Captain James McCormick, retired Army. Um, he's in charge of the National Purple Heart Association. Mm-hmm. I think it's what it's called. He's from just down in Mason County. He's a West Virginia boy. Going to. Um, it's Fourth of July. That'd be. I thought it'd be good to have a um, to have this guy on. I just met him recently i think i met him a couple years ago but i just got to know him recently Mm. and uh, west virginia just passed a bill that uh, creates the west virginia military hall of fame Mm. and as we talked about at the beginning of the show uh, herschel woody williams the last uh, remaining recipient of the medal of honor from world war ii passed away in the middle Mm. of the night Last night, so we're recording on Wednesday, so that would have been, um, I think it was about 3.15 last night, and uh, James McCormick, who we're having on, was with him a half an hour before he passed away, prayed with him, and uh, uh, we're going to, we'll talk about that a little bit, and we'll talk about some of his uh, bravery and exploits. Um, I believe in Iraq is where where he served. He's about our, uh, he's a little, he's about 50. He's a little mm. older than you, mm-hmm. a little younger than me, um, but just a good guy. So that'll be really fascinating. You folks will like it, like it a lot. Ah, uh, new Harvard research says U.S. Christianity is not shrinking, Pastor. Hmm. How about that? A little encouragement here for us, but growing stronger. So um, I saw this on Facebook. Our buddy William Jaynes, who uh, is a godly professor at cal state southern california and was uh one of the guys that helped us pass the bible in the schools bill in west virginia and he's helped get that passed in numerous states 
he graduated first in his class in at Harvard. I was second. <laughs> I was a close bit, second. I was very close. I'm still bitter at him, but I <laughs> hey, I put it away. That's because you're better than him in that way. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully he's not listening because that is true. All right, so uh, William James was genuinely first in his class at Harvard, um, and he's a he's a, a humble guy. He preaches all over the world. Hmm. But um, so we're going to get into this. Meanwhile, wide, widespread. This is a quote. He's starting the article out with a quote. It's a Federalist article by Glenn Stanton, who um, I know uh, from reading, and he, he's written a book on the subject. Meanwhile, a widespread decline in church-going and religious affiliation had contributed to growing anxiety among conservative believers, end quote. Then, uh, the author of the article says, uh, Glenn Stanton says, statements like this are uttered with such confidence and frequency that most Americans accept them as uncontested truisms. This one emerged just this month in, uh, in an exceedingly silly article, in the Atlantic, on Vice President Mike Pence, this is a uh, this article is four years old, but don't hang with me, folks, because it doesn't matter that it's four year old four years old because it looks at the country uh, from a macro sense, going all the way back to the beginning. Religious faith in America is going the way of the yellow pages and travel maps. I'm offended here because I bought a travel map. <laughs> I knew you would. <laughs> I bought a travel map for my trip to Branson. Did you get it folded back up the right way? Not that travel. Oh, okay. The big Rand McDowell. Oh, yeah. And actually, I was in a gas station and saw them for sale there. So there, take that. Religious faith in America is going the way of the yellow pages and travel maps we keep hearing. It's just a matter of time until Christianity's total and happy extinction, chortle our cultural elite. Do you know what chortle means? It means that you kind of laugh in a uh, your throat. In a mocking in way. In a mocking way. Yes. Yeah. Okay, good job. Yeah. Is this true? Is church going and religious adherence really in quote-unquote widespread decline? So much so that conservative believers should suffer growing ag- anxiety? Two words. Absolutely not. Yeah. New research published late last year, this, that would have been five years ago, by Harvard and Indiana University Bloomington is just the latest to reveal the myth. This research questioned the secularization thesis, quote-unquote, which holds that the United States is following most advanced industrial nations in the death of their once vibrant faith culture. Churches becoming mere landmarks, Dance halls, boutique hotels, museums, and all that. Not only did their examination find no support for this secularization in terms of actual practice and belief, the researchers proclaimed that religion continues to enjoy, quote-unquote, persistent and exceptional intensity in America. These researchers hold our nation remains an exceptional outlier and potential counterexample to the secularization thesis. All right, so we're going to get into this. I'm not going to read this whole thing. I'm just going to uh, read a bit, and, and then uh, you comment on it. Yeah, I'm, on I'm interested in this. It's, it's certain, certainly countered uh, a lot of the other stuff you read. Everything that we bring on the show yeah. is countered. How can their findings appear so contrary uh, to what we've been hearing from so many seemingly informed voices? Like ours. Like ours. <laughs> 
it comes down primarily to what kind of faith one is talking about. Not the belief system itself per se, but the intensity and seriousness with which people hold and practice their faith. Mainline churches, pastor, are tanking as if they have supersized millstones around their necks. They're hemorrhaging members. Many of those folks, though, here's the thing. They're not leaving Christianity. They're going to other churches Hmm. like ours where Hmm. we hear good preaching, Bible Hmm. preaching. They are simply going elsewhere because of this shifting. Because of this shifting, other very different kinds of churches are holding strong in crowds. And have been for as long as such data has been collected. Hmm. They always have been. Hmm. In some ways, they are even growing. This is what this new research has found. By the way, quick aside, sidebar, you got to hear this. So I listened to a lot of radio in my 14 hours one way and 14 mm-hmm. hours back, drive down to Branson. Why didn't I fly? Because I hate to fly now. <laughs> uh, so I was listening to Michael Youssef. You mm-hmm. ever hear him? Yep. So I like him. Yep. He loves souls. He talked about in India, Indonesia, this isn't an America thing, but this is uh, Muslim countries, the people, we've talked about this too, where, uh, where people are getting saved right. and saved and saved by the millions, he said. Mm-hmm. He talked about, he, he, he met, he was over there and early in the morning went to meet a preacher who had just had an all-night prayer meeting with his, with his uh, church for a new auditorium. Mm-hmm. Now that sounds mundane. I'm not going to pray all night. I'll stay at I'm in bed on that one, except that, listen to this, right now, that uh, probably a former Muslim preacher in Indonesia was having 11 services every Sunday. Wow. In in a 3,500-seat in a auditorium. Are you kidding me? They're going to build a 20,000-seat auditorium wow. in Indonesia. All right, back to America. The percentage of Americans who attend church more than once a week, pray daily, and accept the Bible as wholly reliable, that's us, and deeply instructive to their lives, lives has remained absolutely steel bar constant for the last 50 years or more right up to today. Hmm. How about that? Wow. Is this going, yeah, alarms like, going up, uh, red flag, <laughs> <laughs> These authors describe, these uh, Harvard and uh, University of Indiana authors describe this, this uh, continuity, continuity as patently persistent. Hmm. The percentage of such people is also not small. One in three Americans prays, uh, pray, uh, multiple to- prays multiple times a day, while one in 15 do so in other countries on average. So this is America comparing with Europe and these other Western nations, industrial nations. Attending service more than once a week continues to be twice as high among Americans and um, uh, so on. One-third of Americans hold that the Bible is actual is the actual word of God. Now, that doesn't sound high to me. Yeah. But fewer than 10% believe so in similar countries. The U.S. clearly stands out as exceptional. And this exceptionalism has not been decreasing over time. Hmm. Um, Now, in 1989, uh, and that population is growing. In 1989, 39% of those who belong to a religion held strong beliefs and practices. Today, these are 47%. Of all the religiously affiliated. Wow. 39, 39% to 47% since 1989. Hmm. Do you believe that? I mean, 
I'd have to look at my numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I do. I know. It's empirical data, apparently. Wow. A Harvard study. Huh. And Harvard, apparently, according uh, to articles I've read in, in uh, Bill Jaynes, our professor buddy, is uh, God's alive at Harvard. Hmm. They're not just gone, full-blown secular like many Ivy League schools. Harvard, I think, is different. You know, and I think we do have a tendency to expect the worst. You know, I, yes. I think that's the, the, kind of the way that we're geared. We we hear the negativity that comes out of an area, and we think, oh, well, that's that's a lost cause at this point. But we know, even throughout biblical history, that nothing's a lost cause when God gets involved with mm. it. Look at Roe v. Wade. Yeah. Look at Roe yeah. v. Wade. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. That yeah. that includes 2022, it doesn't does. it? Right? It does. It's such a uh, – it, it's so, so incredible to watch. Um, most decent sized. What time we got here? We got. Uh, we're out of time. We got uh, two more minutes here. Let me just find the. There was uh, so, at the end of the article. Uh, all right. Let me. I got this started. Let me read this for you. When the so-called progressive churches question the historicity of Jesus, deny the reality of sin, support abortion, ordain clergy in same-sex relationships, and perform their marriages, people desiring real Christianity head elsewhere. Fact, evangelical churches gained five new congregants exiled from the liberal churches for every one they lose for any reason. Wow. So these churches preaching the truth, mm-hmm. they might lose one, but according to these statistics from Harvard and UI, uh, they'll gain five. Wow. People looking for – look, the truth the, – the church I grew up in, in town here, is a liberal church. Um, I left there when I got saved, uh, 18 – I was 18 years old, um, and – just being out and about, living life, I'll bump into people that I went to church that church with years ago, back in the seventies and early eighties, who did the same thing I did. Hmm. They got saved, and they're in uh, Bible preaching churches hmm. in the area now. And it is it's it's the greatest thing to see. It's we have this camaraderie that we never had before because we didn't have Jesus Christ right. in these liberal churches. And uh, there's a number of us out of these churches who found Jesus Christ. And and uh, it's like Jesus and the blind man. Uh, we're on the outside now, and it's so fun. Yeah. The Absolutely. outside is the place to be, mm-hmm. right? Praise God for that. Yep. All right, so we're out of time. Man, that was uh, tiring, but Goes lots quick. of fun. Praise yeah. God for it. So uh, stay tuned because we're going to do a longer show today. i got Captain James McCormick on the phone from Mason County and uh, a genuine hero from the Iraq War. Uh, Purple Heart shot three times in uh, firefights. He was in a situation where he said, look, this is it. I'm going to die. And uh, I think he won't say this, but I think because of his leadership, um, he pulled them all, pulled them all out and they survived. All right. Have a great day, folks. No, I'm sorry. That's a a bad habit. Uh, Stay tuned. (laughs) Stay tuned. Don't go away. Don't go away. (laughs) James McCormick coming on next Voice of Truth radio show. Be right back. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Azinger. Generally, I have my co-host, Pastor Brian Leversey, 
in the studio with me, but he had to get back to work. What's he doing working, Tim Dowler? I don't know. Uh, well, he's paid to do that. Well, he said he's working on a sermon, but he's probably taking a nap. <laughs> I didn't say that. You said that. Yeah. All right. Um, we uh, we generally just go an hour, but uh, Pastor and I just did an hour show. Um, but we have a special guest today that we wanted to make sure we had uh, had on for the July 4th weekend. And um, uh, a man I've met just through being in, in politics. And uh, I'll tell you, he's, uh, I, I, I've told him several times, uh, I, I, he's the a, he's a type of man you want your boys to meet. You want your boys to be just like him. And his name is Captain James McCormick. He's, down, he's uh, from down in Mason County. And uh, we got him on the phone today. He served in the uh, Afghan war, Afghanistan and Iraq. Is that right, Captain? Well, I served in Operation Desert Storm. Uh, Desert Storm, Storm and then Iraq. Yes. I'm sorry. Right. And <laughs> So welcome to the show. Thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's uh, it's a pleasure, and you know, it, it's always uh, you know for me, it's always a good thing to meet people that are you know people of faith like yourself who are also you know happen to be elected officials. So you know, it's it's really good to have you as a friend, and and I feel blessed to be on here. Yeah, so I, I feel the same way, Captain McCormick. Um, was uh, wounded three times, three bullet holes in him. He has. Do you get three? Do you get a purple heart for every wound, or just one purple heart? No, actually, I was wounded at three different times. So, um, so you, yes, I received three purple hearts. It was a, um, you know, and and we're going to tell that story. You're going to no, we. You're going <laughs> to tell that story, and you uh, you received a silver star, which is. Golly, it's a that's, that's a huge thing. So, man, it's just an honor to have you on. And uh, we had we talked in the first hour, Pastor and I, um, about Herschel Woody Williams, the last World War II um, recipient of the um, Medal of Honor, the last one in America, right here in West Virginia. And Woody Williams was from West Virginia, just a little hillbilly who went off and uh, did great exploits in World War II and came back and was a, uh, was a great man. And I had the, the honor of a couple times having a few experiences with him. I had a radio show in Indiana back um, 10, 12 years ago, and, I, and uh, Woody Williams came on, came on the show with me during a Memorial Day or something like that and told his story um, of what he did in World War II. But Captain McCormick, who we have on the show right now, was very close to Woody Williams. And um, uh, Woody Williams passed last night in the middle of the night. Today's Wednesday. We're recording. He passed away Tuesday in the middle of the night. And uh, uh, James McCormick, you were, you were with him right mm-hmm. prior to his going to to heaven right yeah and, and yes and and i'll tell you the uh he passed away at three fifteen in the morning um and the last prayer and and uh, goodbye was at uh at 2 a.m and then of course i stopped at the chapel on the way out at the va uh to pray as well so i mean it's it's i'm so thankful you know to God that, 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 you know, that number one, that I was allowed to pray with him. Um, 
um, in this time, but also blessed by the friendship. You know, I cherish every moment. Um, Woody was one of those bigger-than-life people mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. never, uh, you know, he could have bragged about a lot of things, but never did. The, the one thing I'll tell you, um, if you look at uh, attributes or, or, you know, traits, it would be humility. I mean, the fact that he had so much humility and humbleness and um, and he would tell me, he'd say, you know, he's, he's like, you, he says, you guys need to understand that you, you know, you can't, you can't just go in like a bull in the china shop, you know. If you want to get things done, you have to have humility. Mm-hmm. And um, so anyway, it was, it was a, uh, a, a, you know, obviously it's a sad time, but just, just to let everybody know, I mean, his faith was so strong. I mm-hmm. mean, unbelievably, remarkably strong. You know, he knew that, you know, that the minute that, you know, his uh, earthly life was over, that he would be in the presence of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and there was zero fear whatsoever. And that was the thing else that was so impressive because we had spoke, and I'll get a little bit into that later, but we had spoke often. You know, I mean, look, I can show you text messages, you know, where Woody would send me and, and I would send him messages and I'd say, I love you, buddy. He'd say, you know, and then he would, he would just say, you know, you know, Back at you, fella. You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. he's that generation that doesn't uh, doesn't uh, yeah. hug you and love you and all that, right? <laughs> yeah, but now when my kids or my wife was around, I mean, wow! I mean, we were just going through all of the pictures. You know, when Woody was, I'm going to say he was 90 years old. We were at a an event at the uh, at the Capitol. You know, they used to have beautiful Christmas parties and. And uh, we were in this area, and Woody was dancing, you know, and he was dancing holding my son, who at that time was like three years old. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And we've got videos of that, and I mean, you know, and and I told my wife, I said, isn't that amazing, you know, so many people complain about their aches and their pains and their woes, but here's a 90-year-old man, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, combat wounded veteran he was a purple heart recipient in addition to being a medal of honor recipient and you know dancing and and you know just and and he was that way with a lot of kids let me just tell you what he was really trying to you know demonstrate the the value of humility and love and and compassion yeah so he he lived to be what 98 Ninety-eight. Yeah, he would. Yeah, yeah, he was ninety-eight. So maybe take him just a minute. Uh, I'm on with uh, Captain James McCormick. Um, t- take a minute just to tell his salvation experience. So he 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 was uh, when he went to war. He didn't know the Lord. Is that right? You know, uh, Woody grew up like most, and like he told me, like most. Uh, you know, folks in that time period, you know, they believed in God. There was a, a, a reverent fear of the Lord. It wasn't that as though it was absent, but, you know, he definitely, as he told me, he said, I was not a churchgoer. And, yeah. and you know, that was another generational um, thing that would be said by his generation. I wasn't much of a church grower, uh, goer, and, um, uh, and you know, and, and when he was married and he had his daughters, he said, you know, 
his wife and them would never make him or force him to go to church, but they would just say, we're going to church, are you going? Until one day he decided to go. Hmm. And um, when he walked into that church, he said it was a transformation. He said, I hmm. saw my daughters. They looked so angelic with their dresses. And uh, and he said, and the preacher was, was preaching, and he looked around, and he was talking about salvation. He says, I realized he's talking to me. Hmm. You know? Wow. <laughs> And he thought, like most people, when you go to church and you feel convicted, you know, it's like, uh, did, you know, did my wife talk to him? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. He took the walk, you know, and that walk, um, you know, led him to... Uh, took the walk down the, was, he went down the aisle, you mean? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. He took yeah. the walk. He, he got saved, he got baptized, and um, and I believe he told me that was in 1962 um, is when that occurred. Mm-hmm. So, and he tells that story, and he obviously told it so much more eloquently than I can ever tell it. But the point was in every message that he delivered after that, there was a faith part of that. Yeah. You, you know, you do not walk my fight alone walk by faith. Mm. Uh, you're in your life. You have so many things, as you know, uh, Mike, that, that, you know, it gets thrown in your path, and you have two pathways you can go down, you know. Um, yeah. it, it's just, it was amazing to hear that story firsthand. And yeah, sure. Uh, How many kids did he have, uh, Captain McCormick? So he had two daughters. Two yeah. daughters, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. And his wife... Um, his wife passed away how long ago? Uh, it was uh, 2007, Ruby. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, good. So um, uh, I, I, just a, a couple stories I have. I didn't obviously know him nearly as well as you. He wouldn't um, He wouldn't recognize me if we passed in the hallway. But I talked he, knew, to, he knew who you were, Mike. He, oh. knew, who, he knew exactly who you were as Senator A. Senator. Oh, is that and right? And he knew your father very well. Yeah, he and Dad knew each other. He used, to, he used to, Dad was in the House Delegates for 20 years. He used to endorse Dad. Of course, Dad was a, Dad <laughs> was a Marine, so he had that, you know, uh, he had that going for him. But uh, um, anyway, I, so he spoke, I forget what this was about, but uh, you've, you've heard MacArthur's uh, Duty, Honor, Country speech. Uh, so one of the greatest speeches in the history of mankind, I think. Um, just it, everyone needs to listen to MacArthur's duty on our country. So, so um, uh, Woody Williams came to the Senate floor one uh, one day in session, and he spoke to the Senate and and Captain. I I don't even remember what it was about. I just kept thinking. This guy sounds just like Douglas MacArthur. He had a majesty when he spoke. I mean, it was uh, it was uh, levels above what your what your average speaker of any in any uh, of any sort can speak. I mean, it was it was phenomenal. He sounded like Douglas MacArthur when he gave his duty honors country speech. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, he was he was a, a, a great, great man. I don't know if you have anything else you want to say to him. We're going to uh, uh, bump out of this uh, segment here in just a minute. We're going to come back and talk with Captain James McCormick, uh, retired Army. My boy's in the Army also. Um, and you know what? You uh, uh, The interview I watched with uh, that, uh, that you sent to me uh, Will with Will Marshall was uh, – was was just amazing but um we're gonna have you tell the tell the story of of uh i don't know if this has happened in one day or two days or several days in iraq and uh you said during this interview uh we all we all came to uh the realization look we're not gonna survive this something to that effect you you were in an ambush and um i you know after i listened i thought you know what I'm not gonna not gonna tell the whole story, but obviously you made it out alive, and I think that the reason being is because of the leadership of Captain James McCormick. I bet your boy, your guys. How many guys were with you during this whole uh, this whole battle? So there were four of us um, at in the ambush. Yes, um, and you know this over. This went around uh, a 19-day period, and it was called the Easter uh, time frame, uh, 2004 uprising. And all right, so we're gonna don't, don't tell anymore. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna get into it, and folks, you'll be fascinated by it, and it'll make you love the American soldier and the American military even even more, um, and. Um, um, he was a uh, Captain McCormick was awarded the Silver Star. Is uh, uh, is that right below the Medal of Honor? Or I mean, that's that's up there in terms of valor. Yeah, there's 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 three valor awards that the military tracks, and it's the Silver Star, Distinguished Service Cross, and Medal of Honor. So, oh my goodness! So yeah, it's what they call the high three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you'll hear the story, folks, and you'll say, yeah, I understand why he got it. So. Uh, once you tell the whole story, don't be all humble on us when we get into this. Um, so thank God for Herschel Woody Williams. Grew up. What county did he grow up in in West Virginia? Do you remember? Yeah, he, he, he grew up in Quietdale, so that would have been around the Fairmont. Oh, okay. Uh, Marion County yeah. up in that area. Oh, okay. I was thinking Southern West Virginia, but uh, very good. Yes. Yeah go to a restaurant up there uh there was an italian restaurant uh right off the main drag and i, I just apologize to the owners of that restaurant because woody made a point to always when we were there we'd go to clarksburg va and several several times we stopped there and the the generosity the kindness and the welcoming spirit of, of the people from his home community was amazing but in that little italian restaurant you know, and if someone knows the name of that, please share it because I, I'm drawing a blank right now. Um, but they were just so wonderful, wonderful people. And, and Woody, you know, had that same relationship uh, at Judy Kay's restaurant down in, in Milton. You know, that was a place that, or Granny Kay's, I'm sorry. And Granny Kay's restaurant in Milton, we would meet there, or we would meet at Shoney's on the Boulevard. <laughs> he was fancy, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. There was, there, I'm telling you, there were three places, but you knew what the discussion was going to revolve around by the location. 
you know, if it was in Shoney's on Canal Boulevard, it was about, you know, the veterans, uh, uh, you know, agendas and, uh, you know, legislation and things like that. If it was at uh, Granny K's, it was more of a personal thing because, and then if it was at the Italian restaurant, it was generally a, a national, uh, you know, discussion. And we worked on a lot of projects. And we, you know, Woody mailed me this list, like I told you. So yeah. It's an envelope packed with things for Jim to do. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Oh, my goodness. All right, we're on the uh, radio with Captain James McCormick. We've been talking about Herschel Woody Williams, who, if you haven't heard, uh, passed away last night. We're recording on Wednesday, so you're um, we this this broadcast goes on Thursday and Saturday. So most folks will probably have already heard, but we get the inside story with uh, Captain McCormick, who was with uh, uh, Woody Williams just half hour, uh, forty five minutes before he passed away, and uh, you've known him for decades. I think is what you said. Uh, Captain McCormick, but uh, we're going to come back. Don't go away, folks. Captain, when Captain McCormick is going to uh, tell a, a story that happened to him in Iraq. This is July Fourth weekend, and I thought, man, let's just have a let's have a true blue patriot American. And I've just had the blessing of getting to know Captain McCormick well. Um, just these, I don't know, since the last six months, and man, what a blessing! Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you, uh, this is Captain McCormick is, is 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 one of the men that make America great. He's he's humble, uh, but if you're in a firefight, if you have a battle, if you need someone in your foxhole when it's going things are going bad, <laughs> Captain James McCormick and those three guys with you too. The the uh, that one gentleman, Noble. Uh, uh, yeah, so so you'll talk about him too. All right, so this is the Voice of Truth Radio Show. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Azinger. Pa- uh, Pastor Leversey had to go back to work, but we got Captain James McCormick on. He's going to tell his story in the next segment. Do not go away. We'll be right back. All right, Captain. So we'll pop back in here, and uh, you just you. You take the time you need because you know when you got to go. But uh, sure, uh, yeah. you know, um, um, h- how long do you think? Just so I, I can put it in my head, if we need to do it in uh, two segments. I mean, how much time do you think? You know, uh, once we get going, probably you know twenty minutes or so. I mean, we can we can be done by you know around twelve o'clock, you know, or twelve o five, and then. That gives me a chance to take a shower because 13 News is coming to my office at, at 1 o'clock. And, okay. Uh, yeah, and I'll, pro- I'll, I'll show them the Woody Williams list. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> oh, oh, good. So, uh, oh, praise God. I am uh, I feel, uh, you know, a little honored to be in on this with uh, getting to see on the inside through you. Well, uh, Mike, I'm going to tell you, we, you know, we're going to be – you know, I, I have been in this national spotlight position with the Purple Heart for the last three years. So I haven't really been able to be in the Capitol as much as, but praise God, I've done my time. I've, you know, I've ran this race. And, you know, there's been a lot of work to do in the Purple Heart. I mean, I'm just yeah. going to tell you, it's, it's like well, every you, other word. You, uh, if you want to uh, start out just saying a few, a few words about that 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 would be uh, entirely appropriate, I think. So, 
Um, yeah. If you want to say something about that and then go into your, your story, that that's fine too. You do it however you want to do it. All right. Absolutely. Okay, so yep. we'll bump back in here and then I'll I'll uh, I'll turn it over to you. And why don't you give a bio on yourself? You know, uh, how sure. long were you in the army? Uh, uh, where you served? And then and then we'll go we'll go into it because I want people to know who you are, what you've done. If you don't mind saying the Silver Star thing again, or, or I'll say it so you don't have to, but, but uh, I mean, that, that, that's, uh, golly, that's, how many men get that? Um, all right, brother, you ready? I'm ready, man. Three, two, one. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth radio show. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Azinger. Pastor Leversy is not with me for this segment. He had to go back to work. He, he wanted to be here with the interview with Captain James McCormick, who we have on the air today. Um, we just uh, talked last segment with Captain McCormick, talked about uh, Herschel Woody Williams, as most of you know by now, passed away. Last um, World War II recipient <coughs> excuse me, of uh, the Medal of Honor. Oh my goodness, what a, what a man he was. <coughs> and he uh, passed away Tuesday in the middle of the night. Captain McCormick who is with us right now, was with him and um, uh, had, had a great story. So if you didn't hear it last segment, go to our podcast at Voice of Truth with Mike Azinger. Uh, Captain McCormick, thanks again for coming on the air. So tell folks a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say um, what you may not, but you were, you were shot three different times in, uh, in battle. You have... Uh, uh, Purple Heart, and you earned the Silver Star. Silver Star, according to to you, what you just told us is like uh, one of the top the is the top three uh, valor medals. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes, sir. Yeah, oh, Galley Neds. Uh, so we uh, we're honored to have you on. So uh, so Captain Court, tell first just a little bit about yourself, more than I could tell, and then. Uh, then we'll go straight into your story from the Iraq War in, um, I think what you said in, in uh, 04, April of 04, I believe, is when the ambush happened. Um, it was, was the ambush where you, uh, where you were, what, what you were awarded the Silver Star for? It was, uh, it was a series of, of a series of, mentally, yeah, it was a series of events. It was a 19-day, uh, basically back and forth battle. But, yes. Uh, okay. 2004 is what the specific citation reads about the uh, the Silver Star. Okay, so tell a little bit about uh, your give a mini sure. bio for the folks, and then uh, if you would just segue right into uh, your battle story about uh, about uh, uh, from the Iraq War, and uh, we're honored to have you on this July Fourth weekend, brother. So go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on and. Um, you know, my prayers and thoughts, you know, obviously go out to the family of Herschel Woody Williams, good friend and, uh, and a wonderful uh, example for uh, all of us to follow. So um, I grew up in Scott Depot, West Virginia, which is in Putnam County, a small, uh, very small community at the time. <clears throat> and I uh, went to Winfield High School, graduated in 1986. And the reality for me was is that, you know, 
um, I had to make some serious choices. Uh, I had an opportunity to go to Potomac State College. I was a you know a fairly decent football player, and the guy uh, from Potomac State approached myself and another player at Winfield and, and offered us what they called a uh, you know a books and stipend um, scholarship if you make the team and if you play. And um, you know there was there was ways that they would help you to get your education. Of course, Potomac State being a junior college um it was cool to you know to be accepted for that we were going to go play for the catamount and then you know things changed you know i decided to join the army and and because i really wasn't ready for college number one and number two i didn't have the rest of the money to pay to go to school school was expensive and and the realization for me was is that um you know I need to go and do something to get myself right, grow up a little bit, um, and, you know, get some money. So I mm-hmm. um, ended up spending 22 years in the Army. Um, you know, wow. I served in various capacities. I was an enlisted soldier, so I started out as a private like everybody else and, you know, worked my way up to a non-commissioned officer and, um, and eventually a platoon sergeant. And when 9-11 occurred, um, you know, I was um, so moved by those events that, that I applied for a commission and received a direct appointment as an armor officer and uh, ended up going through uh, a series of training that took me from Fort Knox, Kentucky to Fort Irwin, California, to Fort Bliss, Texas, and then eventually landed me smack dab in the middle of the Operation Iraqi Freedom uh, Two. It was the second rotation, and um, I was a an old second lieutenant. You know, a lot of people say I was a new, <laughs> yeah. but but I was a very well seasoned soldier uh, that had 16 years, and you know, already prior service. And going into that, um, and the experiences that I had in Operation Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and that's a that's a whole different ball. That war was very fast and furious, um, you know, and violent. There was a lot of violence yeah. that occurred during that war, and, and and it was very much on my mind. But going to Operation Iraqi Freedom, there was definitely a change. In, in the air. You knew it was going to be a different experience because, you know, we were operating as convoy security uh, units. We basically, we secured these massive lumbering convoys that went all over Iraq uh, and and protected the drivers and the cargo. And, and I, I don't think, Mike, that there wasn't a day, you know, during that entire deployment. And I got there two days after Christmas in 2003, and I came home April the 15th, 2005. So if that tells you how long I was there. Yeah, wow. And there wasn't really a time um, that we didn't have some sort of chaos, uh, some sort of dealing with, you know, a radical, uh, you know, Islamic element of of, uh, terrorists. Yeah that weren't just attacking us, but they were attacking their own people. They were killing children. They were, you know, just slaughtering, you know, um, you know, 
they're doing they're, yeah, doing what Muslims do, which everyone's afraid to say, but that's the religion of Islam. Uh, we're on with Captain James McCormick telling his story about Iraq. I just wanted to interrupt and let folks know uh, who's on. So go ahead, Captain. Yeah, and it, it was. It was definitely a different culture uh, that was there, Mike. And, um, but, you know, kids are kids. You know, when you look at children and you see the suffering, the, the, the tremendous amount of suffering. I think that impacted me more than anything else. Mm, yeah. uh, but going into this operation, in particular, uh, starting uh, April of uh, 2005, you know, we can go all the way back to February the 2nd of 2000, and, I'm sorry, 2004. Mm-hmm. And my, my good friend, Seth DeVorn, uh, from New Jersey was killed. You know, he was killed uh, by a roadside bomb in uh, uh, Iskandaria, Iraq, and um, you know that was a, a devastating blow to me because he was more than just a pal. You know, I mean, he yeah. was—he was a brother, a friend, and I mean, it was like losing a brother. You know, for me, it wasn't—you um, know—but and that led to. Uh, you know, March the 22nd, 2004, we were out on a convoy, and we had received fire from a bridge, and a guy had had posted themselves on this bridge, and they were shooting down on the convoys. Well, this was the area between Ramadi and Fallujah, and it's just like an interstate. So if you're driving down Interstate 77, 64, you know, you look at that, you know, you know four-lane, highway setting, that's how their roads were set up as well. Mm. Um, the difference was is that you could be driving down the road and then boom, you know, somebody, you know, lobs a, a you know, a grenade down on your vehicle or they hit you with small arms fire, they hit you with RPG fire or a roadside bomb. And in this case, uh, they had set up an ambush. And so March 22nd, when we were ambushed, um, we got into a tremendous firefight you know, uh, getting up on that bridge and, you know, basically flushing the enemy from that position. And and I was actually shot on that day. And I was shot in the uh, right calf. Um, and um, fortunately, it didn't break any bone. Mm-hmm. You know, it took the fatty meat portion and, and uh, you know, and it was very painful, um, to deal with that, and I went to a hospital, and three days later, I was back out on the road, you know, because, uh, you know, you were RTD, return to duty. Yeah. And the um, when I came back to my base camp, I was sitting in, in, the, um, in the tactical operations center, and I had my foot propped up, and, you know, I was drinking coffee, and we were just, you know, kind of, I was relaxing, you know. I had some time to relax. Yeah. And a guy came in from a unit and said, we need convoy escorts, um, and uh, we'd like to have Lieutenant McCormick lead this escort because, you know, it's going to be a, a bad one because it's April the 5th. April the 5th is whenever all of that jihadist militant movement had really, you know, hit a, a high point in and around the Sunni Triangle area. Yeah. And so I agreed to do that and picked my crew. My driver was a guy named Brian Noble, absolutely 
you know, it, all of my soldiers were fantastic. I, let me just say that. But Brian Noble stands out as one of the bravest Americans I've ever known. And um, um, loyal, you know, you know just, a, just an absolute patriot. He lives in Tennessee now and uh, with his wife, Tracy. And, uh, and I can tell you that, that Brian is probably also one of the most humble people you would never know, you know, the kind of a warrior that he truly was. But I had him and uh, a guy named Ralph Blue from Florida. Um, he was a prior Marine. And, um, and then, uh, you know, Brandon Lawson from Ohio. So, you know, we were a very diverse crew, you know, as well. I mean, we didn't see, you know, each other as anything but soldiers. So if you would look at our breakdown <laughs> and... Uh, uh, you know, we kind of looked like uh, a motley crew there, but uh, when we went out, our mission was very focused, and we took, you know, three other gun trucks with us, uh, and the whole purpose was, was to secure that convoy, and that convoy started out bad, you know, I can just tell you, we we had two trucks that ended up rear-ending each other, and, you know, we spent most of the day, you know, recovering a vehicle early in the journey. Uh, but by the time we got into Baghdad, it was an eerie silence. It was just an eerie silence. Oh, and uh, we we had just drove by. Uh, there were some kids on a bridge, and they were throwing rocks at us. And this was common. Um, but um, not long after that, we were coming up to the turn to go into the Baghdad International Airport. Um, you know, the southwest gate for BIOP. And that's what we call it, Baghdad International Airport, B-I-A-T, BIOP. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, the first truck made the right turn. We had pulled over to the left, and we were just pulling security. It was a standard thing. It looked like it was going to be, you know, outside of the accident. It looked like, you know, it's going to be a milk run. Uh, and that's whenever the first explosion uh, hit probably 40 feet to the front and left of my vehicle. Mm. Now, I think that was a mortar, uh, but I'm not 100% sure. And, uh, but it, it definitely uh, threw rocks and sand and dirt everywhere. And again, you're on a four-lane highway. Yeah, and right. in front of us was this large overpass. Um, and that's when we started to hear the small arms fire, just cack, 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 everywhere. And, mm -hmm. and if you've ever been shot at, you know, you don't, you'll hear the, the cack, 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 you know, you're okay. But when you start hearing that whizzing of sounding like a bunch of bees flying by your head, <laughs> you're right. you know you're the target. <laughs> 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 right on, right on. We're on the on the phone with Captain James McCormick. He's uh Silver Star recipient, recipient. He's telling his story um, in Iraq. So go ahead. And so that's whenever we started to hear, get the calls in on the radio. I had two other vehicles in front of me, and they had three people shot. I mean, it was like instantaneous. It was like, oh, my goodness. Wow. You know, this is terrible. But you could hear the blood-curdling yells over the radio. I'll never forget it. I hear it a lot, you know, thinking about it. Yeah. Um, and just the chaos ensued. And we drove up, and there was a, a young soldier, his last name was Miller. From and I Breaking up a little bit there, Captain. Any better now? Yeah, now we can hear Okay, go ahead. Okay. You, uh, 
Uh, Miller. Said, yes, go ahead from there. So, so the young man Miller was uh, had been wounded. And I remember pulling up, and I'm talking on the radio, where are they at? Where are they at? And I just remember this, this young man stood up, and he fired his weapon system towards the bridge and fell back down in the vehicle, you know, and you knew that he was, you know, he was hurt bad. And, and uh, so when I told the, the drivers to get in the gate, get in the gate, and we pulled up. Now, we were in an L-shaped ambush, and it was a very well-executed L-shaped ambush. And I told my driver, Brian Noble, I said, turn to the left. I said, you see where the bridge and that intersection on the left come together? I said, this is an L-shaped ambush. That's the apex. We've got to get as close as we can to that to draw the fire away from the convoy. So, and he did it. We drove right in. We came to 75 meters almost exactly um, from the bridge. And you can go to Google Earth Maps, and you can look at that exact location, and I can measure that and tell you exactly how far the shooters were. And so, um, and of course, we started working the ridgeline. And when I say work in the ridge line and the areas was uh, we started to return fire. And so I was on the 50 caliber machine gun, um, a beast of a weapon that demands respect on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But these guys were well entrenched. And I can remember early on that, you know, it, it was bad. You know, it was, it was, it was really bad. But... You know, going through that experience, I was uh, I was shooting at, you know, that area or anywhere where I could find enemy uh, forces. And that fifty cal, you know, it has it has a tremendous, um, you know, impact on you know whatever it hits. Yeah. Um, and and we had my driver and uh, Ralph Blue and Brandon Lawson had gotten out of the vehicles and they were returning fire on the ground. So nobody was hiding behind the vehicle or anything like that. Um, we were just out doing our job, and it, that's what it was. That was just you're just doing your job. Yeah. And um, I remember the uh, <clears throat> my hand. I felt something hit my hand. I don't remember um, exactly at what point that was, but I remember. Specifically, that my weapon, I couldn't fire my weapon, and my hand was not functioning properly. And and then I looked forward, and I saw the mount on the fifty caliber machine gun, and there was a hole. So this guy had shot me, and the bullet went through the mount where the uh, fifty cal uh, ammunition tray hooks up to the to the machine gun, mm-hmm. and came through, and it hit my hand. Hmm. And shattered it, so it was, um, you know, the the bullet, um, you know, went through uh, around my uh, ring finger knuckle and came out the palm of my hand. And um, uh, and what had happened was, is in that process, those bullets had actually hit the link on the fifty caliber machine gun, <clears throat> breaking the link. So therefore, I had ran out of. You know, I, I didn't have any more ammunition. That's why I wasn't firing. So I reached up with my right hand to open the feed tray and cleared the jam, pulled the ammunition belt back through, and as soon as I dropped that feed tray cover, 
I saw a dark, shadowy figure on that bridge. And to be honest with you, I didn't even, I didn't hear the shot or anything. The next thing I know, it felt like somebody hit me with a sledgehammer um, and a bullet had impacted uh, my chest. I had been hit in the uh, tappy plate. So we had these, you know, bulletproof ceramic plates. And I don't remember falling. I just remember being up and then next minute I'm on the ground in the, floor of the Humvee and there's blood everywhere and I remember this white powder and I laid there and and I just kind of realized and started thinking to myself okay this is what it's like to die yeah. I'm okay with this I'm not afraid at that point um, and when I tell people about this spiritual transition, this is when it happened for me. Um, you know, I was a lot like Woody Williams. You know, we grew up, we were spiritual kids. We loved the Lord. We went to church. We went to Sunday school. But you hadn't really given yourself to the Lord. Yeah. And at that point, I remember hearing very, very distinct voices in my head, you know, that said, you know, get up, it's not your day to die. Mm. And, and, and I kept hearing this, and then I repeated it, and then the back door opened up on the Humvee, and it was my driver, Brian Noble, and he says, Sir, you've been hit, you've been shot, let me, he said, I'll, I'll, I'll take over. And I can just remember saying, no, I'm going to get up here, and I said, and we're going to fight, and we're going to kill every one of these people. And I remember saying that. Um, but there was no expletives in that sentence, though, I assume. Yeah, there, there were. And, and so, that, that is very true. Um, that is a very true statement. But, um, but it was a spiritual transition, even though those things were being said. Yeah, no, I get it. I, I, I think it's uh, uh, this story is so awesome. We're gonna, I just want to let folks know who we're talking to, Captain James McCormick who uh, earned a silver star. And he's telling the story of uh, part of the story of how he uh, earned that silver star in Iraq in uh, 04. Uh, so continue on. So at, at that point uh, in time, you know, we had, uh, and I got back up, reloaded, the, you know, the ammunition, and it was like there was a renewal. Now, look, I have, I was shot March the 22nd in the leg. I was shot in the hand. I was shot in the chest. You know, I had a bullet that ricocheted on my helmet. Mm-hmm. Um, I, let me tell you, it was a bad place to be. My yeah. Yeah. Everybody else had been hit. Mm-hmm. You know, I had one guy was shot in the thigh. You know, Brian Noble ended up getting hit in the face. Um, but these guys were just remarkable, remarkable people. But But I can remember it was like, uh, it, it was absolutely, that's when you start really praying. And you say, you know, God, give me the strength. God, give me the strength. God, give me the strength. Yeah. You know, you want to fulfill the mission. You know, every one of us have a candle. You know what I mean? And, yeah. you know, God tells us don't hide it under a bushel. You know, uh, you know, let your light shine. Well, also, don't let somebody put it out before mm. it's supposed to be put yeah, out. Yeah, right, right. You know, and, um, you know, as we were fighting, 
um, I was trying to grab another can of ammunition, and I dropped it um, because my hand, you know, was just, there was just blood everywhere. I was slipping in the blood. It was that thick. And, wow. And um, as I was looking to my left, I noticed two guys, um, and, and as I was reaching down to grab the ammo, something went over the vehicle and blew up, and it was a grenade. They were trying to throw a hand grenade in the hatch on me. And, um, and I came up. The only thing I could grab at that time was a, was a flare. And, and I grabbed the flare because these guys had gotten with them, like, I don't know, like 20 yards from our vehicle, and they were yelling, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, uh-huh. you know, which, um, you, you can hear all of this, and and I took that pop flare and I shot it at those guys, you know, and that thing makes a tremendous rushing noise, you know, and it was a red star cluster, so you had three little red dots that went out there, and it just, it scared them, and it bought me time to be able to grab my rifle and to engage these guys, uh, you know, with my with my rifle. And then get back up and load the 50 cal. Now you gotta understand, my I was one armed. I was essentially a, a one armed guy, yeah. you know. Um, and I couldn't grip with my left hand because there was so much of the, um, uh, you know, when you when you have an injury to the palm of your hand, I mean, there's a fatty meaty portion and it's all hanging out there i'm not trying to make it you know be gross but um it was a painful situation but mm. we we got to the point to where the enemy had let up we got the trucks in and i asked my driver and i said can we i said will this thing roll he says i don't know he says all the tires have been shot you know the vehicle had been hit multiple times I think we counted, you know, 75 or 80, you know, bullet holes and shrapnel holes in our vehicle. Oh, my and, God. To be very honest with you. And um, and so we were able to drive the vehicle to a small building that where you make the turn. And I told my driver, I said, pull here, stop. We're going to make sure everybody's in. This building gives us cover. And we're right here off the main road. So... You know, if we, uh, you know, hopefully somebody's going to come out here and, and get us. And that was the point where I told the guys that, you know, we are not going to leave. We cannot leave. We will not leave, even if we could, because, you know, we have a mission here. And I told the guys, I said, this is our Alamo. Wow. You know what I mean? And... They understood what that meant, you know, and there was no hesitation. Mm-hmm. You know, there was just Roger that, sir, and they got out. Now, everybody's wounded. you got to understand, there's a mixture of four different men's blood in this vehicle. Wow. And, and you want to talk about a transition of, of faith. It was there. It was there in that vehicle, <laughs> and it was there amongst those, amongst those, fine American soldiers, the, the, the absolute, the cream of the crop when it comes to uh, what America has to offer. And yeah. you pass them on the street, you'd never know it because right. they were all so humble. And they're still humble to this day. And every one of them are 
you know, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipients, they all received the Bronze Star medal with the device, you know, for their actions as well. Um, and from that point, you know, we, we, we essentially were, um, we had to continue to fight um, until the QRF, uh, you know, the Quick Reaction Force got out there. And then we finally went in and we got treated at an aid station ran by the 5th Special Forces Group. And those are just phenomenal guys. The Green Berets, you can't take anything from those guys. They're just wonderful people. Let me interrupt you just one second. Captain James McCormick, McCormick, uh, Silver Star recipient. Somebody took the guy out on the bridge with the big gun. Yeah. Who, uh, you skipped over that because that was what you did that, right? That was. I did. Okay. Yeah. So can you tell, can you tell that real quick? Because that was, uh, uh, that, that's, that's just a, a fascinating part of the story. Well, when I had got back up and, um, uh, the, the guy on the bridge, uh, had shot me with a, uh, a dragon off 7.62 by 54, uh, sniper rifle. And, uh, he uh, obviously thought he had killed me, and um, when I got back up um, to to re-engage, I looked ahead, and I seen that he had exposed himself because he had leaned over the bridge, and my driver about the same time walking back around to the front of the vehicle, you know, to work and get his way back into his, uh, his position. And there was a little bit of cover behind the door, but not much. And he did not see me. And I'll never forget this. Um, I just squeezed that 50 cal uh, butterfly trigger on the back. And I remember seeing concrete and, you know, clothing and, you know, just puffs of red, you know, all at one time. But what I remember most, specifically was that rifle falling from that bridge and I when it hit the ground it it bounced you know what I mean it yeah. was like it hit the bus stock and it was like boom boom and um, you know of course you looked up and you could see you know that obviously that he was dead but that was um, that was an amazing uh, uh, incident that occurred, not just because of the, the way that the rifle hit the road, but because of, of the fact that, you know, here you have a group of, um, you know, you know, basically, you know, just kids from, you know, from, from the country, because most of us were from the country. Yeah, right. Right. And here we are still taking on, the uh, Muqtada al-Sadr's uh, militant group was with al-Qaeda fighters and everything else that were in there that were just some of the most fierce fighters in the Muslim uh, you know, world at that time. So um, yeah, that was, you know, that was one of those things that you never forget. And I actually got to hold that right because the, the 5th Special Forces group went out um, after uh, we came in, and they went out and they secured a bunch of weapons, and and they policed up, you know, um, several, you know, enemy dead bodies. Uh, you know, I, I, I can tell you how many, but 
But, you know, the fact is that it doesn't really matter. The fact is that, that we did our job, and yeah. there was a transition, especially with me at the time where I realized that, you know, that, that I've been fearing death for all this time. And um, you get to a point to where you, you don't fear it anymore because you know that if you do die, you have a better place to go. I mean, for me, uh, heaven looks a whole lot better than the streets of Iraq. I'll yeah. Just yeah, amen to that. So uh, I know you got to go, and that was the story. He at least got to tell the whole thing. That was C- Captain James McCormick uh, from Mason County, and he's he's the national commander of the of the Purple Heart. Um, organization, I forget exactly what it's called, but I want to have him on. He sent me his story. Uh, I got to meet him six months ago at a, locally here at uh, um, at a, uh, a presentation for the uh, Military Hall of Fame that is going to be started in West Virginia. A bill passed by Delegate Roger Conley. I think he basically moved that bill through. I got to help just a little bit. And uh, I met Captain James McCormick, and I I hadn't heard a story, didn't know anything about him. And he's as we got to know each other a little bit over uh, a little bit better over these past months, he sent me he sent me an interview where he told this story that you just heard, and um, that was that was basically the gist of it. Um, there was a uh, 19 days long that this whole battle that uh, went on. Uh, that happened where he earned the silver star. That's one of the top three. Uh, he just was was incredible in his bravery, as were his men that were with him. And we lost connection, but we'll get him back on and uh, maybe tell some more of that, some more of the story. But but uh, wounded three times, shot three times, and man alive, what a what a what a story. One to one you folks to hear it, one our listeners to hear it especially on the 4th of July weekend. And if you didn't hear the last segment, uh, Captain McCormick talks about uh, Herschel Woody Williams, who died uh, last night, Tuesday night. We're recording on Wednesday. And um, uh, Captain McCormick was, was uh, with him just oh half hour, 30, 45 minutes before he passed away and uh, passed away at 4.15. The last surviving... Medal of Honor recipient from World War II, Herschel Woody Williams. All right, folks, thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great Fourth of July weekend, and uh, don't forget to thank God for the great country we have. Uh, We do have a great country. What a wonderful place we get to live because of the Lord and because of uh, what our military has done, what our forefathers did in giving us a wonderful constitution. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank God Roe v. Wade was overturned, and those other decisions that came down from Roe v. Wade, the the prayer decision, the uh, education decision, and one other I can't think of. God bless you, folks. You're listening to the Voice of Truth radio show. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week.